We are in the third week, the final week. Actually, it might not be the final week. Next week, we might continue it just to let you know because sometimes you've got to keep Easter going. But, but officially, for the moment, the final week of a series that we're calling Betrayed, Lonely, and Misunderstood. We said Jesus, especially as you look at the last uh, week of his life, Jesus went through every imaginable human suffering, human emotion and difficulty. Uh, scripture says he went through every temptation, which means if God thought it was okay for him to come to earth and be fully human... To experience all the things Jesus experienced, maybe it's okay, maybe it's even good for us to give ourselves permission to be fully human too. Betrayed, lonely, misunderstood. I want to um, preach this morning uh, from a couple texts and, and the sermon I've titled, Misunderstanding Jesus. Anybody here know what it's like? to be misunderstood? Anybody here ever had the experience where you thought you were communicating clearly? You thought you were using words that other people could understand, but it just seems like no matter what you do, there's misunderstanding. Let's play, let's play fill in the blank. It is blank <laughs> to be misunderstood. How would you fill in that blank? I came up with a few ways. So, I've mentioned before, I lived in China for three years. It was great. And if you've ever lived in a place where there's a language barrier, you're very, very familiar with misunderstanding, right? It just comes naturally. So I'm talking to one of my students. It's my first year there. My Chinese isn't great. Their English is pretty good. And Mick and I are getting ready. Uh, we're going to travel for the weekend, and we're going to go to Beijing. We're going to go to the nation's capital. So I'm talking to my student, and I'm like, oh, well, we're excited. We're going to Beijing for the weekend. And I'm thinking, this is a good point of conversation. We can talk about the nation's capital. And the student looks at me and says, you're going where? I'm going, I'm going to Beijing. I'm going to, I'm go you're going where? Like three or four times back and forth, I say that I'm going to Beijing. I'm thinking, how in the world would, could we be missing this? But apparently, in Chinese with the tones, with the pronunciation. My ability to speak was so inadequate that even when I said the name of the nation's capital, I still was misunderstood by this student. I would look back at that. I'd say, it, sometimes it's funny to be misunderstood. I can laugh at myself. That's sometimes funny, right? But not always. Once in grad school, I turned in an essay. I got the essay back. And on the front, it said, great essay, See attached. I'm like, huh, see attached. And I flipped to the back, and the professor had stapled the rubric for the essay onto the back and had circled the question, which was the guiding question of the essay, and had written again, great essay. You didn't answer the question, though, because I just, I hadn't considered the question carefully enough. I'd misunderstood it, and I'd written an answer to a different question. Sometimes it is consequential to be misunderstood. Or for me, my misunderstanding had some consequences. But it's not always just funny or it doesn't always just have consequences. I bet you've been in a conversation, maybe a, maybe a heated conversation, maybe the conversation where your hackles go up and the blood pressure rises and you're like, okay, okay, I get it. If I say this, 
then they will understand that I love them and I care about them and, and we're on the same team here and everything's fine. If I say this, it'll be okay. But when you say this, they hear a different message than the one you're thinking. There's a few husbands and wives that just nodded at me right now that are like, yeah, I've experienced that view. In that case, I might say, it is frustrating. You might fill in the blank with a different word, but I'll use the word frustrating to be misunderstood. Well, here's the thing. It turns out that throughout his life, but actually especially at the end of his life, Jesus was perpetually misunderstood. If you ever experienced the frustration of being misunderstood, of trying to communicate, even to communicate something of great importance, and being unable to get that communication across, if you've ever experienced that frustration, Jesus understands because he was perpetually misunderstood. I want to look at two passages, both from the end of Jesus' life, that really highlight just how deeply Everybody, apparently, misunderstood him. Um, here's the first one. It comes from the Gospel of John. And Jesus uh, had just come to Jerusalem uh, at, at, at the, towards the end of his life. And he goes into the temple. And you might remember this one. He's really mad because he sees a bunch of people that have taken the temple and turned it into a high profit margin business, selling animals to sacrifice at the temple. And Jesus isn't very happy about this. And so he literally makes a whip, and he starts flipping over tables, money spilling everywhere, doves, I don't know, they're, you know, they make a mess and they smell to begin with, so I don't know how much more smelly it got. And not surprisingly, the religious leaders at the temple, they're not very happy with Jesus about this, right? And so those Jewish religious leaders seeing Jesus flipping over tables and whipping people with a cord, they say in John chapter 2, starting in verse 18, the Jews then responded to him, uh, what kind sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? It's a pretty reasonable question, really. Uh, Jesus is causing a big mess. Like, what is, how come you get to do this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now, I don't know if Jesus did hand gestures, but if he did a hand gesture to indicate his meaning, he probably would have said, destroy this temple. But clearly the Jewish leaders thought he meant this temple, the building they were in, because the Jewish leaders uh, they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? You, you got some like really good union contract going on? Like, what is this? There's no way this is happening. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Now, it's one thing for Jesus' enemies, right? The religious leaders, they're the ones that are about to kill him in this part in the story. It's one thing if your enemies misunderstand you. It's another thing when the people closest to you, your friends, your family, when somebody you know, you care about, it's another thing entirely when someone close to you misunderstands you. 
Another part of the story, um, we've looked over the past few weeks, we looked at Jesus' last meal with his disciples just before Judas would betray him to his enemies. We looked at Jesus' prayer in the garden when he experienced great anguish over what he knew was coming in his life. And we saw that right after Jesus prayed in the garden, he was arrested. And there's this one verse that says, all the disciples deserted him. And then we get this little scene about his one disciple, Peter. Peter has just been with Jesus, seen Jesus go through these incredible things. And Jesus is now processing, or Peter's just processing, Jesus just got arrested. What do do I do about that? And here's what we read. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. If I read the full passage, you would see three different times. Peter was asked, you knew Jesus, right? You were with him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw you. That accent, that accent totally gives it away. That's a Galilean accent, and I know a Galilean accent whenever I see it. And over and over and over again, Peter denies that he ever knew Jesus. And it wasn't just Peter. Like we had just said, there's a verse earlier. It says, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Jesus was perpetually misunderstood. He was misunderstood by his enemies. He was misunderstood by his friends. Now, you might think, okay, yeah, Carl, but like, he said destroy this temple and then I'll raise it up. And, and the, the gospel writer John tells us later, oh, well, we know he was talking about his body and his death and resurrection. But, like, metaphors are tricky. Like, it, you know, metaphors are tricky. Sometimes we, we misunderstand metaphors. That's okay. Well, lest we think he only spoke metaphorically, uh, here's one more example of a time that Jesus said something really clearly that apparently this, the disciples missed later on. This is the author Luke. Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. You could not be more clear than what Jesus just said right here to his disciples. I have this memory. I played uh, played ultimate frisbee in college. Um, and clearly, Ultimate Frisbee is highly relevant to Easter Sunday. It's just highly, highly relevant. Now, me and the captain of my team, Dave, Dave Truesdale, we, um, we came up with a play that the two of us uh, kind of had planned together. And, you know, when, um, when, when two people on a sports team want to map out a play together, they, they put up a whiteboard. I think we just have, imagine this is a whiteboard. Literally, I remember, like, sitting over the whiteboard, Dave and I, Dave, the play was this. If Dave caught the Frisbee and he was on the right sideline on the field, Dave had a really good forehand throw. Josh knows what I'm talking about. A really good forehand throw. So if Dave catches the Frisbee on the right-hand side of the field, my job 
was to run as fast as I can up the left-hand side of the field. And Dave would throw it far up the right, and I would run up the left, and we would meet in the end zone, right? We had the whiteboard, we mapped it out, we talked about it. So when game day came, and suddenly I looked over and I see Dave catch the frisbee and his foot lands right on the sideline. And after he catches it, he looks and our eyes lock. We don't even have to nod. We just know what's going to happen. So I put my head down and I start running as fast as I... Pro tip, if you want to run fast, don't actually put your head down. It closes off the airway. It gives you bad form, but it makes the story seem better. All right, so... And I run as fast as I can, and I'm not even looking until I'm almost in the end zone, and I look over my shoulder, and I see the frisbee. And it meets me in the end zone, and I score a point, and it's amazing. Dave and I had talked about it. We'd planned it. And when the moment came, our eyes locked, and we understood one another, you'd think that Peter, right? I mean, Peter was one of the 12, but he wasn't just one of the 12. He was kind of the leader of the disciples. He was one of the 12 that was closer to Jesus than anybody else. And I swear, if Jesus had been the coach or the captain of the 12 apostles' ultimate Frisbee team, there would have been a moment when he'd have been like, all right, guys, you're not going to like this play, but I'm calling it right now. Here's the play. This is me. I'm right here, and here's what's going to happen. The elders and the chief priests, they're going to come to me. And then what's going to happen? You're not going to like it. But I'm telling you, it's coming. I'm drawing it on the whiteboard. They're going to take me to the cross. I'm going to die. Like, I swear, that's what would have happened. He couldn't have been any clearer. And you would think that after he had been arrested, Peter would have been like, hey, guys, hey, hey, remember? This is the plot. He said this was going to happen. He said he would suffer. He said he would be arrested. He said he was going to die. Look, he was right. Dude, he's always right, and he was still right. You'd think. And what did Peter do? He deserted him. And he denied he ever knew him. I have to assume that somehow, deep down, Peter had misunderstood him. And it turns out we see evidence over and over and over again in Jesus' life that he was just perpetually misunderstood. First sermon, Jesus gets up and he says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble. Later on in his life, a couple of his disciples, they come up to him and they're like, yeah, 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 I get it, meek, humble, I get it, but um, can we have the places of honor in your kingdom? Because we kind of want we kind of want the places of honor. Is that cool if we get the place? And Jesus is just like, oh, face slap emoji on my disciples, right? Jesus says in that same sermon, blessed are the peacemakers. And what does Peter do when the soldiers come to arrest him? He draws the sword. He cuts off a soldier's ear. He tries to fight for the God who says he's a peacemaker. Jesus says, my kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. You guys know what worldly kingdoms look like. You know what political power looks like. You know what military power looks like. You get that. But my kingdom is not of this world. It's different. And at the end of his life, coming into Jerusalem, his disciples are like, yeah, okay, but, um, but, it, but Lord, now's the time, right? This is when you are going to restore the kingdom of Israel. 
or the greatest irony of them all. The crowds are cheering for his crucifixion, and the soldiers think they're mocking him when they bow down and pretend to worship him, when in fact we know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is in fact Lord. Jesus' enemies totally misunderstood him. Jesus' own disciples, those closest to him, totally misunderstood him. If that's true, then I think there's a question that you need to ask yourself and that I need to ask myself. If the people who lived with him, flesh and blood, God on earth, heard every word he spoke out of his mouth, not just the words we have in in Scripture, but every teaching he gave, if those people misunderstood Jesus, I think we got to ask ourselves, is there any way that I just might be misunderstanding Jesus too? Misunderstanding has consequences. And there's a lot of them I could think of, but there's two I want to talk about. First one, when we misunderstand Jesus, we misrepresent Jesus. And as you know, representation matters. Here's one of the reasons representation matters so much. You must properly represent something if you want it to be properly recognized. There's a strong connection between representation and recognition. We all learned about this during COVID, right? Because we've been lulled into this um, really comfortable world where when we want to open our phones, we don't got to plug in a phone or a a code anymore, right? Plugging in phones is so old school. I don't don't want to remember a phone. All I got to do is hold up my phone and it looks at my face. And it recognizes my face. And when my phone recognizes my face, it unlocks. Ah, It's wonderful. Until I have to put on a mask. Right? And like all day, every day, you're looking around and you're seeing people going like, is it going to... This is like like the phone's understanding of COVID. is like up, mask down, recognize, okay, mask back up, right? But Apple realizes, Apple is like, maybe did Android do this too? I don't know. But I know Apple put out an update. And they're like, okay, okay, you can set up an alternate appearance so that when your phone looks at you and it's like, "Mm, that's not you, your face doesn't have a mask, it has a mouth, but you can tell the phone, okay, yeah, 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 but this is a different way for me to look. It's an alternate appearance. Oh, 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 whoo, whoo, my life was hard, but now it's easier because I can set up an alternate appearance. But representation matters because if we misrepresent, nobody's going to recognize us. And and here's what I have to acknowledge about Christ. There's no alternative appearance that God wants to give us. He didn't send Jesus and be like, here's one of the ways that you understand who I am and how I live and what I want to do. Here's one of the options. But there's an alternative too. It can look different. No. The author of Hebrews said it this way. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his 
nature. When God said, you know what, I've been talking to my people, I've been showing myself to my people, I've been teaching my people about who I am and my design for humanity, I've been doing it for generations, but what I want to do is I want to give the one final, definitive, perfect image of who I am and how I love this world. When God did this, he sent Jesus. He sent a man into humility. He sent a man who was willing, who was not grabbing for power, but looking to serve. He sent a man who did not try to put himself in a seat of honor, but rather took on the place of a servant. And God said, that is what I look like. But it seems like far too often in our world, we want to find ways to get God's power on our side instead of find ways to get ourselves conformed to his image. It seems like in our world, far too often churches are jockeying to get Jesus to be the lobbyist who furthers their agenda rather than looking to conform themselves to a suffering servant. I mean, it's not hard to look around at all the churches and the way that different churches in America represent Jesus and say, somebody's got to be misrepresenting here because the conflict and the division is so great. When people look at the church, do they see Jesus? If we misunderstand Jesus, we're going to misrepresent him. So I have to conclude that the church must confess that in some way we must Like the earliest disciples, like many since then, we must still be misunderstanding, some way, misunderstanding Jesus. Second big consequence, when we misunderstand Jesus, we miss out. We don't even see. We we fail to recognize. We miss out on the gift of God's grace. Uh, College, it was Christmas time, and I wanted a new tent Obviously, I mean, I still want a new tent. But at that time, I wanted a new tent. And I made it known that I wanted a new tent. But not just any tent. I wanted the marmot hoot. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) So Christmas morning comes, and sure enough, there's a package under the tree that looks and is giving off the vibes of a tent. I can tell, and so I save it for last It's not going to be the first one I'm going to open. It's going to be the climax. And I get the tent, and I put it in my lap. Now, here's what I didn't know. My dad had, in fact, ordered the marmot hoot for me. But, shockingly, it didn't get delivered on time. Side note, turns out that my dad may have passed on the whole didn't order it in time to get delivered on time thing down to younger generations. So what my dad did is he printed off a picture of the marmot hoot and he put it on top of um, a tent that he happened to have in his house, which actually was the tent that my grandfather used when he was a Boy Scout. (laughs) Smell and all. (laughs) And my dad thought, okay, Carl's going to open the paper and he's going to see that it's a tent, but the picture of, of the right tent is on there and then he'll get it and it'll be happy. So I rip off the wrapping paper, but when I rip off the wrapping paper, the picture stays stuck to the wrapping paper. (laughs) And so I'm holding this green, heavy, heavy's not what you want with a new tent, that's not a valid, uh, smelly 
tent. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, Carl, just be grateful. Like, put the smile on your face and be like, Dad, that's so great. You got me a tent just like I wanted. Like, I'm thinking these things. But clearly my face is representing to my dad that I'm feeling disappointed in the gift that my dad had given me. I misunderstood the gift because the paper got pulled away. Because I misunderstood it, I completely missed out on the joy of the gift my dad had given me. Turns out, Jesus' followers, even from the very beginning, struggled with misunderstanding the gift of God's grace and therefore completely missing out on that gift. The Apostle Paul, who went around preaching what we're preaching today, the tomb is empty. Death has been defeated. Your sins are forgiven. This is the good news of Christ, the gospel of God's grace. Paul preached that. Churches started. Many of the letters Paul wrote to encourage those churches are what we read and call Scripture today. If we read the letter that he wrote to the Galatians, we find out that even the early Christians misunderstood Jesus. And so they missed out on God's grace. Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. The gospel is this. We look around at our lives. We look around at the world in which we live and the brokenness, the suffering, the sickness, the evil we see. We look at our own hearts and in our own minds and the evil, wrongful desires we feel and thoughts we think. And God comes along and says, you know what? You don't have to earn a thing. You don't have to prove a thing. I'm not looking for you to demonstrate you're worthy of the gift of forgiveness. God comes along and says, I made you. I love you. You're mine. And for that reason alone, I'm going to give you the gift of forgiveness. I'm going to fill you with my life. What's that look like, Jesus? What, what does that look like that you want to give me your life, God? Here's what it looks like. I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to take on the form of a human and I will die the death that sin is causing in you. Dead. Three days. But what's going to happen is three days later, some women and some men are going to come to the tomb. They were carrying spices, the text said. You know why they were carrying spices? They were going to embalm the body. They thought he was still dead. You're going to come to the tomb on the third day, and you're going to find that it's empty. That the life I give is more powerful than any death this world has ever seen. And the gospel is, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to be worthy of it. I'm giving it to you because I want to give it to you, my creation. But what we do is we take that good news, that gift Jesus is receiving, and in all of our weird ways, we say, you know what, I'm going to make him a taskmaster instead of a savior. We twist it and we abandon the gospel and we, and we turn him back into a rule maker, not a chain breaker who wants to give us freedom. We, we see the offer of, of God's gift of life and we say, you know what, maybe I'm going to turn him into an angry disciplinarian in my heart and in my mind, not a gracious and loving father. If everybody misunderstood Jesus, 
then we have to ask ourselves, am I misunderstanding Jesus as well? Because we know it has happened. We know it is happening. We know it will happen. And the good news of this day, the good news of this day, is that even though we might misunderstand him time and time and time again, we remember that not just one, but dozens of people saw, and then it was proven to hundreds of people again and again for the next following days that the tomb is empty because death has not won this war because Christ is risen. Can we get like an amen or something like that? Can we get like a, and if the tomb was empty and if Christ was risen, then that means he is still risen today and his promises then are still promises for you and for me right now. So let me ask you, what's your move going to be? Because the truth of the gospel is true no matter what we do, but God holds it out as a gift for us to receive. We love to go chasing other things, and God just patiently stands and says, I will continue to offer my life to you. And how do we receive that life? The way we receive it is through confession. I might even say it this way. If, if it's so common to misunderstand Jesus, and because of our misunderstanding to misrepresent him, and to miss out on the gift of grace he wants to give us, if that wasn't just true back then, but it's still true for us today, then, then I would say it this way. Confession is the key to understanding Jesus. Jesus wants to give us a gift, and we receive it not by saying, well, here's all the good things I've done, all the right things I've done, all the ways I've earned it, all the ways I've deserved it. No. The way we receive the gift is through one and only one act, to confess that we don't deserve it after all. And God gives it to us because of his love. This winter, I took, um, I took the kids skiing, and before going up into the mountains, I, I took my keys out of my pocket, and I took the car key, and I clipped it to the little, you know, clippy thing so that I don't lose it. But then I detached the rest of my keys, house key, office key, other keys, and I put them in the cup holder in the back of the car, and I thought, oh, well, I'll just get them when I'm done skiing. Well, I get done, I pack up, I head home, rest of the weekend, I get up on Monday morning, it's time to go to work. Mickey, have you seen my keys? <laughs> Tobiah, have you seen my keys recently? Kids, I, don't, I kid you not, for a month, <laughs> I'd come to church. If I was the first one here, I'd just go into the conference room, I'd set up my computer, and I'd start working, and then David would come, or Katrina would come, or Sheila or Nikki would come, and be like, hey, can I borrow your keys to let myself into my office, because I can't find my... I spent a month waiting for somebody else to let me in. You know what? You don't need anybody else to give you the keys to the kingdom of God. You don't need to wait for somebody else to say, you know what, God, I'm going to receive today the gift that you have given me. Because the key to understanding Christ, the key to receiving his life is saying, I am willing 
to confess. So let me ask you, will you confess today? Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Um, Worship team's going to come on back up. And they're going to play our final song. The song is called King of Kings. It is a song of confession that Jesus is in fact Lord. That even though the disciples deserted him, and we have maybe in our own lives in the same way deserted him as well, today we will proclaim that we have sinned against God, but we believe that he will forgive us. We will confess our sins so that we might confess our faith. During that song, um, I have put on the tables in the back and on the tables in the front, and I even put some on the steps because I thought some people might want to come and just kneel on the steps. I've put a bunch of little keys. And here's my invitation. Um, When they start this next song, I'm going to pray. We're going to the next song. If you can honestly pray right now, Jesus, I confess my sins to you. If God has convicted you of any way you've misunderstood him, whether by misrepresenting him or missing out on his gospel, whether you've done that many times in the past and this is a course correction or maybe this is the first time in your life you honestly and fully confess to him. If you can pray a prayer of confession, will you come on forward? Or head to the back and pick up a key. And when you pick it up, pray that simple prayer. Jesus, I've misunderstood you. I've misrepresented you. I confess my sins and I confess my faith. And my challenge would be this. Take this key, put it on a keychain. Hopefully one that you don't misplace on the regular like me. And let it be a reminder that confession, while it is something we do once for a forgiveness that is once for all, it also becomes the way we we live our life every single day. Make this a reminder that confession is the key to understanding Jesus so that our lives might more fully every day represent him and nothing else to this world desperately in need of his life. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the good news, the the truth that we could read it time and time and time again and it still wells up in our hearts. The good news that the disciples, they went to the tomb, they thought you were still dead. They expected to find a body. And and, and we acknowledge that maybe in our own hearts sometimes we expect to find a body as well. We thank you for the good news that the tomb is empty. That death has not won this day. That sin has not won this battle. But that God, you are alive. And your life is available to every one of us free of charge to heal us from our sickness, to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from every misunderstanding that we might have. And by your strength, the strength proven in the resurrection, by your strength to hold our hand and walk with us each and every day forward. God, as we come and and pick up a key I pray that even though it's just a simple, small little reminder, I pray this would be a powerful image 
that would call us to lead lives of confession. Confessing our sins and confessing our faith every day. May it be so, we pray, in your mighty, resurrected, forgiving, healing name, in the name above all names, Jesus, we pray. Amen.